Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online. and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H E L P. Welcome to the Shrimp and Sivret show, a member of the Nation Network of Podcasts and delivered by DoorDash. Sharpie, how's it going? Welcome back. I see your background is a little different. I see family in the background. Uh, what's going on right now? Yeah, just got back to Fulton, New York. It's been been a heck of a it's been a whirlwind of a couple couple days. So traveled back from Bled, Slovenia to Fulton, New York, and uh, just got back here. So I'm back in mom and dad's house and getting some uh, family time in. So my daughter's uh, first time seeing her grandparents in two years. So she's excited to be back. She's all fired up and. Um, yeah, the world whirlwind of getting uh whirlwind getting back, man. It's never easy traveling. <laughs> yeah, I I uh I just I just stayed London this weekend. We played a, a golf tournament this weekend uh with one of our buddies, Brad Beer, who used to officiate us in the OHL. Uh, Beersy. Uh, yeah, we had a good time. It was uh we played at Highland, just a two-man best ball. We had a pretty good day one and uh day two was not as good. Uh but we did, <laughs> but we did after day one. We went uh we went to the keg, watched uh The game, game what I've been, game six, no, game five of uh, the Stanley Cup Finals. Uh, so it was pretty entertaining. Uh, obviously, Tampa had won, and I moved on since then. Uh, obviously, Colorado has won. Uh, they're now the Stanley Cup champions. But um, the, you're, you were talking to me earlier about travel. Like we, I know we were going to talk about it in the show about uh, how teams travel in all different leagues. But give me a little lowdown on the travel from Latvia back to Fulton, New York. Yeah. So, well, that's. My my wife and daughter got up. They were in Latvia while I was in Bled, Slovenia, and we met up in Vienna. So they took an early morning flight to the Vienna, got in around whatever nine or ten, and then I took a three hour drive from uh, Bled, Slovenia to Vienna. Met them up at the airport, and then right out of the gate, they start delays started. So our flight got pushed back, and the windows were small. We had fifty minutes in Amsterdam, which that was the layover, and we were already like, uh, that's not enough. start reading all the reports, you know, they say you got to have like an hour and a half at least. <laughs> so we we're sweating. And then, uh, yeah, we got on the plane and they were like, you're probably not going to make your flight in Amsterdam to get, uh, to Atlanta. So we were sitting there waiting on that. And it was looking like we were going to get a night in Amsterdam and then fly out the next day. They ended up pushing the back, the flight back to Atlanta from Amsterdam to Atlanta, uh, an hour. So all the people could make it. So then we wind up getting stuck in Atlanta. We missed our connector from Atlanta to Syracuse. So uh, we got into the hotel at like one o'clock in the morning, one thirty in the morning, and then had to be back at the airport at five thirty in the morning. And, you know, and all that with a four-year-old and uh, you know, time change, jet lag, all that good stuff. Like trying, my wife and I trying to lug, you know, three bags and a hockey bag, hockey sticks, and a, and, a, and a, we brought the stroller because we knew that it's really not 
fair to ask Stella to run through the airport. <laughs> so, so it was, it was a mess. And then, uh, you know, whatever we got on the flight this morning from Atlanta to here and it's good back to good to be back, but man, it's tiring. It's just, it's so, it's so taxing, you know, it's, it's so hard to travel with a kid and all that other stuff and the elements and the emotional stuff of like flight delays, cancellations. Okay. What about hotel and how are we can get to the hotel, blah, 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 blah. I'm sure people can relate to that, but yeah, it was, it was a bit of a, bit of a cluster. So it's good to be kind of relaxing and, then once I got sat down and was getting ready for the podcast. <laughs> you know, well, glad you're right back. back North- into it. Yeah. Glad you're back in North America. How long are you here for? Uh, he'd be here for two months. So yeah. Long stint. It's going to be jumping on the ice. You brought your gear. Like you, you wheeling everyone around on the ice or you. <laughs> yeah. My brother and I actually, we're going to do something. I, I'm throwing on a shooting and stick handling clinic here in Syracuse called the, uh, we call it uh, Astro Mets uh, masterclass. Astro Mets stick handling and shooting masterclass kind of connecting it into my space force hockey project with the NFT project. So it's going to be really cool. And it's, I haven't got a chance to really do stuff back here. Um, as far as this, you know, doing clinics and camps in probably 10, 12 years. So it's, it's I'm excited. A lot of people I've been gone. I've been, when are you going to go back and do something, you know, and it's been hard. We've been, I've been all over the world. So it's good to be back and doing something in the hockey community, not just back here to see mom and dad. So I'll have that. And then I'm doing uh, a shooting and stick handling masterclass again with the Windy City Storm out in Chicago. Uh, then I have a combine camp in Rhode Island, uh, August. And then I'm going out to L.A. to see a player of mine, Troy Negus. And we're going to put a little camp together out in L.A. And then from there, I fly up to Vancouver for another week to work with a kid, Jordan Gavin. Uh, really cool, really good little prospect. I'm excited to get up there doing the same thing, doing a little bit of privates and then doing a camp session sort of thing. So... It's uh, it's gonna be a busy couple months, and hopefully, in, in between that, get a chance to come up there to London, Ontario, and get the get the golf sticks going with you. Yeah, if, and also, if you're selling like world tour sh- shirts, t-shirts <laughs> like with every destination on it, I'll take one, man. But uh, no, it's it's good. I mean, hockey's uh, well, the Memorial Cup game's on. Uh, Memorial Cup final, Hamilton uh, squeaked through into uh, actually they squeaked through in overtime. Uh, I don't want to say squeak through; they uh, played very well, but. Uh, they ended up, they're in the finals with the host team in St. John. So uh, it'll be exciting to watch that. Rarely does uh, the, the Memorial Cup finish after the NHL. So uh, hopefully there's going to be a, a lot of eyes on, on that game. And hopefully it's a, a pretty good game and um, an outcome. But um, getting back to the, the NHL, like I, I uh, you know, watching game six uh, at, at home for me, but uh, in Tampa was, um, you know, the third, you know, I think everyone thought the same thing. Come third period, like the second intermission, it's like, okay, Tampa's going to put the gas pedal down. Right. And, yeah. and it just didn't really happen. And you're like, you're waiting for it and waiting for it, and waiting for it. And I thought, I thought in game two, Colorado played a stellar game, like seven, nothing, but it could have been great in that. But in game, in the clincher game in the third period, I thought that was the best they have played. Like they were stymie. Like you couldn't get anything like Tampa was flipping. It was almost like, the, the, the lead change was the opposite way where Colorado was just hounding them, hounding them, hounding them. And Tampa couldn't really get anything going. Like I thought uh, they did a really good job. And I guess that's, that's sort of how it is when you sort of, you know, quote unquote, smell blood and you're leading and you know that we don't let up a goal in the next 18 minutes, the next 14 minutes that like we're Stanley cup champions. So then um, I, and I also don't, you know, some people are like, well, they're, they're tired. Tampa's tired. And fit, like, if you got, four periods of hockey left, you're not tired, right? It's just yeah. they, they played stellar. And, and, and then now it comes out uh, the injury report, right? Like, let me get the, 
the Rolodex here of the scroll of all these guys. Like, <laughs> you know, Point had a quad tear. Um, Bellamar MCL, uh, Shirelli AC a joint and AC dislocation. Um, McDonough finger, uh, mang- all mangled up, probably broken. Um, Kucherov MCL, Hagel fractured foot, Paul uh, AC sprain and, and an MCL, Corey Perry AC strain on his, on his shoulder. Some of the guys need surgery, but it just sort of shows like the, like to the viewer just watching, you know, you know, why is that guy not playing as hard? Well, he's not playing as hard because he's got a broken foot. He's playing as hard as he can, right? Like just, it goes to show how hard it is to win. And I, and I haven't seen Colorado's injury report. I, I obviously saw um, Niskushin, if that's how you say his name, um, getting carted off with the, looked like a broken foot or black and blue foot. Couldn't really walk on it. So I'm sure there's more, obviously, uh, like you said, Kadri with a thumb, but uh, it's a, it's a battle of attrition, right? Like it's, you, you have, they're obviously the, I would say arguably those were the two best teams in the finals. I know Florida was a, a stellar team, but uh, everyone sort of earmarked Tampa to, to get another run at it. And I think everyone sort of uh, said Colorado will be the team out of the, the West to win, but um, just uh, whatever, what you want to touch on about injuries and, and getting to the finals and trying to stay healthy and battling hard and blocking shots. And, you know, it's a, uh, it's a, uh, that's why we love the sport, but it's uh, a grueling, grueling task when you look at that they have probably what a couple months a handful of months here to then turn around and get back at it for i think season openers early october right that's 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 the biggest thing too is like the turnaround you know this isn't like a lot of players it's not like their last stand and you know for some it is but for a lot of players it's not you again like you just touched on like there's two months two and a half maybe three months what do we have yeah july august middle of September training camp, there's two and a half months really to recoup. And some of these injuries take time to heal and fully heal. Then you got to think about like, you know, while those players are healing up and trying to bandage up or whatever, bandage up, heal up and get back to par, the teams that didn't get in are like going like madmen in the off season, right? Like in the gym, like getting gains on the ice, pushing the pace, like getting ice time. So it's such a totally different mentality, right? Like, and then again, for these teams that make it deep, like to come back in in September, beginning of October, drop the puck. It's like, that's a quick turnaround. And these, you know, like these injuries are not to say they're too serious, but they take time to heal. And, you know, then you got to start bumping shoulders again in October. It's, it's pretty crazy to think about. And like you touched on as well, it's why I think everyone has, there's so much passion for the game of hockey, how tough it is, even though it's not like the old school barbaric ways of, bench clearing bras and, you know, tomahawking each other with hockey sticks, but it's still a battle. It's still really tough, a uh, very physical game. And you see the athlete um, shot blocks guys with all the, I mean, it's, it is amazing after it's always to see the injury report come out. It's, it's nuts. It's crazy to see what guys were actually going through. Um, but you know what it's like? I think, you know, my, like my last year playing pro with in, in Salzburg for Red Bull, like I had two concussions and, and playoffs and like there was, my wife is at home. Like you, you're not playing. I'm like, you like, you're not going to not let me play. <laughs> like, there's no way I'm not playing. You know what I mean? Like play all year for this. And that's not even the Stanley cup. We always have that passion for the championship uh, drive to win passion to win, whatever you want to call it. But like, it's guys will go through anything to win. And I think that's what makes this game so special. But Kadri's thumb to me, look mangled. Like when I, I saw a picture of when he went to get the cup, you like see his stitches and the, the brace that he had on his thumb. And, 
watching that game, like he was unbelievable in that game. Mm-hmm. He was such a big factor in that game, played so well positionally, played he was attacking the net all the time and he's doing it basically with one hand. <laughs> you know, and that's it's his top hand that had the problem, which is that's where your everything goes through. You can't really you let off the grip on that hand with as a lefty. So it was, you know, it was unbelievable to watch what these guys sacrificed and Colorado was awesome. Like they played such a good, they played such a good system. The whole series was, was really good. Like I, I thought the game, what was it? Game five when Tampa won, obviously we were wanting it to extend, right? You don't want it to end the, the series to end that quick. But I thought that game itself was like, if you're a fan of hockey and it didn't matter which team you're cheering for, like, that was an awesome, there was like, there was energy, there was chances, like there was body con, like it was a, a, like a well-rounded game to watch as a, as a viewer, you know, like I thought, um, and then even, even the final game, you know, like there was, there was a ton of emotion. Um, Colorado played a, a superb in the third, but, but Tampa played well as well. Right. Like it was a, it's a, it's a one goal game we're talking about here. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then, and then obviously like our, our good buddy and Corey uh, going to his third final and, and not winning. I obviously felt for him because uh, he just seems to be that player that um, it doesn't matter what happens in the season, like come playoff time. Like he's a, he's one of the top players on the team. I think he finished fifth maybe on the team in in points and he would have been up there higher in, in goals for doesn't play as much as, as the, the as a top line player, but it just seems to bring it all the time. So just to sort of see the, the emotion in him and Blake and his son in the stands was, was obviously hard being a, being a friend, a, a close friend of him. But um, I, I think, you know, I, he's got another year left in Tampa. I think Tampa, not really much is going to change for them. They're going to be, they still have their strong nucleus there. They got great goaltending, a stellar defenseman. Uh, I'm going to touch on Kucherov uh, in the video aspect later on about how uh, he's very similar to uh, Alexander Mogilny uh, in my mind. And, uh, and then I guess switching topics a little bit, uh, they just, they just announced the hall of fame induction, um, inductees. And again, for like the 13th year in a row, Alexander Mogilny wasn't on it. Right. So he was a player for me. Like my, my favorite player was always Pavel Bure and my younger brothers was, um, Alexander Mogilny. Um, I just, I don't really understand what, what the knock is on this guy. Like you can go down the list in, and he could be either entry as a player or as a builder. It sounds somewhat ludicrous to be a builder, but the guy was the first Russian to ever play in the NHL. Like he, de- he defected, right? Is that what they called it back then? He defected. Yeah, he, def- he defected in 89. Uh, he's 20 years old. Uh, I think they were at world championship in Stockholm, Sweden, I think where it, where it was, but like, he's got a thousand point over a thousand points in the NHL in under a thousand games played. He's uh, over a point per game player in 16 years. Like that's a, that's a good rate that you're running at. Right. In one season, he had 76 goals. He tied Timu Solani with in goals with 76 and he played seven less games than Timu. Right. He played 77 games, 76 goals. You're a goal a game. Like who does, who does this? Right. Yeah. And he's the, he's the only player, uh, actually only Forsberg, Lindros, Bure, and, um, Yager have a higher points per game uh, in their career than him since 2007. Right. He's a triple gold winner. He was the first Russian captain. Like the list goes on and on. He's got statistically, he's got better numbers than Alfredson in Korea. Um, it, you know, and, and it sort of, I jumped down like the bit of the rabbit. And you can almost, you can speak a little bit more 
to to him like you're from the buffalo area he came yeah, over he, right he, from he was he was massive in the buffalo like for the buffalo sabers like him and hasick were the face of the franchise and created so much um uh, what's the right word buzz around the team so much excitement for fans like his jersey was one of the fa- fan favorite jerseys uh, he was amazing. Like he was so good. Like he was so much better than players back then. You know what I mean? Like you watch him and he stuck out like his skill level, puck control, his body control, uh, the way he could take over a game. Like he, it was special. He was a special, special player. Um, and the stats back it up. It's not just something along the lines of, I like that guy. He should be in the hall of fame. Like you go to numbers and the numbers add up too. like the both sides, you know, the eye test and the stats test add up. And it really, yeah, in my opinion as well, I, I don't, I don't see how he keeps getting passed up. Like, and to your point, like as a builder, like tell me that's not knocking down a huge wall for what became yeah. unbelievable in Detroit. And with their, you know, they, then they had the the Russian five there and the guys that gave Russian players the courage to you know what that's possible like that's huge that's massive you know i think changes the face of the nhl in some regard um style play and well you look at look at how many russians are elite in the nhl right now like vasilevsky is arguably the best goalie right kucherov is one of the best players ovechkin's probably the best goal scorer those are three russians that gonna take probably out ovechkin is the best is like is the best goal scorer but you know i mean like like and and this was the guy that opened up the avenue like the the channel back to North America for all these players. And like, if you get a chance, I, I jumped down the rabbit hole uh, this week and I watched, there's a um, sports that does a really good segment on it. It's actually on YouTube. You can watch it. It's called um, the defector. And it tells a story about how Don Luce and uh, Jerry Meehan, Jerry Meehan was a GM of the team and, and Don Luce was the director of uh, player development, I think, or something like that. And how they went about drafting him right? They, he was arguably one of the best players in the draft and they ended up getting him, I think in the fifth round and everyone's sort of like, this guy's not coming. Right. And they're like, okay, we'll see. And then, and then it tells the whole story about how they went over. Uh, yeah. They went over to Stockholm while the world championship was going on and they essentially like they say kidnapped, but they had to get him out of the country. Like they got all the, they got all the paperwork through the embassy and, uh, and they're, they jumped from hotel to hotel because they were, in fear that they were being followed. And in fact, they actually were. So they went from hotel to hotel jumping around so that no one like, and, and it's funny that it was not funny, but I'm sure it would have been scary as hell when, you know, the arguably like the KGB is trying to hunt down Alexander Mogelny and the two guys trying to get him out. Right. Um, so it's, it's actually, it's only like 20 some odd minutes long. It's actually a pretty good uh, watch online. So I, I got into that and I couldn't believe, like, I didn't know that, the detail of it all. Like you just think, okay, you just hop on a plane and go like, no, no, there was a lot of like maneuvering that needed to happen at the right time. And they ended up getting him over. And it was, uh, I think he stayed with Don Luce at his, at his house. Um, and, uh, near the end of the story, there's a, there's a, I think uh, they get a Russian phone call or someone comes to the door or something. And Alexander's like, no, we don't talk. It's a, it's a guy that has a bit of a Russian accent, (laughs) And he's just like, no, no, we don't, we're not talking to this guy. Like who knows what, who it could have been. Right. But yeah, it's, I mean, as a 20 year old kid to leave your family and everything, like we know as, as players that played in the OHL, it's tough to leave your family, but we're leaving our family for a couple hour drive down the road to 
an OHL team, right? Like he's leaving his family from the Soviet Union in, at the age of 20. And he's a big marquee name in the country and comes to North America. Like how scary is that for your family? Like, will you ever see them again? Are they, you know, yeah. Backfire back push on that. And then the other thing is too, is, uh, the mentality back then was absolutely against Russians and against European players. Like it, it wasn't a, uh, wasn't a warm market for him to come into per se coming over to North America, NHL. Uh, you know, that's, you see, yeah, again, like the, the, the mentality back then was like, there was so much hatred for, in, in hockey towards each other and in, in, in politics as well. There's plenty of stuff going on around the world in that time. So there's so much that goes into that. The, the courage that it took for him to do that was insane. Yeah. Uh, you see stuff like even the, you know, not to dive down too much into this, but this year, like everyone expecting the Russian players to speak up about what was going on. But you, in my opinion, it wasn't fair to put them in that place because they have family back there. Like that's, and what are their words going to say? Like, what are their words? Do? Their words could have a backlash of real consequences, like scary consequences. And the words, you know, to jump on one team. I thought it was a little bit crazy during that, you know, when this stuff started in the world, what's happening right now. Again, not to dive too far into it and take our show into a political one. Um, I thought it was a little bit crazy to ask those players to do that. But for him to do that at that time, it's, it's insane. But yeah, he should. I mean, now we're going into to that side of it. But, but that would be for the argument for him as a builder, <laughs> for the stat side of it and the entertainment side of it, what he did for the NHL. I, I don't know. And I don't know if we're going to get the answer, but like, it's crazy that he keeps getting passed over because, and it's like hard to throw Alfredson. Like why, why is Danny Alfredson in there over, you know, but like, that's what happens. Like someone goes in there like, well, this guy actually had better stats, better numbers was in my opinion, I guess it's then what is that worth? But it, like McGillney was such a fat, like such a big impact to the NHL. And he just, they keep snubbing him. Um, yeah. I don't know who's going to let off the gas there on that one, but they should probably consider, yeah. you know, and, and, and this guy was like, so good. Like he, and, and I look at when I'm watching Kucherov, like Kucherov really reminds me of him. Like there's, there's segments of his game where he's dynamically super fast and offensive. He's very creative with the puck. Uh, he sees the ice very well. Um, like there, there was a, there was a, a, a shift he had on the power play where he had 13 touches, 13 passes, one shot attempt, two zone entries. Like, it, like the guy was, it was just masterpiece, you know, like he, he set up Stamkos with a one-timer. Then, then he takes a one-timer from the half wall. Then, then the puck gets out of the zone. He comes in, he gets a zone entry. He has got no speed. He makes an unbelievable play at the line to, to gain entry, which is, we know on a power player penalty kill, it's very difficult to do. Broke the pressure. Then, then, threw, then like he, threw a guy's legs like tiny yeah. hole, hit it with like a backhand behind the back. Like it wasn't a hoper or a guesser. Like no. that's like he knows what he's, elite. He knows elite what he's level. doing. Then he then he recruits back to his half wall position, which is usually on his one time side, and you know rags the puck down towards the goal line, rips at goal line, um, recovers the puck again, possesses it well, well again. Then looks to go maybe like a seam pass or a high tip uh, to like a parry, or even if it went through to Stamkos, doesn't work out. Anyways, back out again, another entry, no, no speed. They fire it to him. It's like, get us in the zone, buddy. Kicks it out, <laughs> gets in the zone, right? Ends up creating another, another chance where it's like a low shot tip in front. Then it comes back up top and he does that like patented 
looks like he's going to unload a bomb and it's like a fake shot, hard pass sort of through the seam to Stamkos, which doesn't convert on anything. And then again, he, they recover it. He tries it again. They get a stick on it or whatever, but um, then anyways, I think they keep the puck in the zone. And then at that point, Colorado's like, you know what? We're just going to overplay the hell out of this guy. Like everything's going through him. That's where the, that's how it's happening. So they start to overplay him that on the half wall, he's got minimal to no time. They get on the puck. He one touches it down low to, to the goal line for like a, a Perry attempt at the crease for a whistle. And it's like in a, in a matter of like a minute and 45 seconds, this guy controlled, they like, created a ton of chances for them. They didn't score, but it just like shows how dynamic this guy is. And it's like, <clears throat> as a, as a defender, it's hard to predict what he's doing. Like, I think, I think it takes a lot to be on his line because you have to always be ready for the puck. Like he's going to rip it to you from his back hand, pulling it off the wall on his backhand. Like there's no, like he, there's no preparation in his, his thought process to try to get you that puck. And that, which is hard for a defender, right? Like if he, if the puck's coming to him, you can sometimes see, okay, this guy's not in a passing position or this, and it doesn't matter where this puck is in his like little halo or like hula hoop. He, he's firing it hard and on the tape to someone for a well, chance. I think it's like, for me, for, with him, he, he reacts, he reacts to the situation and you, he reads and reacts very well. And he's, um, that's the thing. I think the difference between him and other players that play that position, other you know players that don't understand that position do things that they saw. Yeah, someone else do. Kucherov understands, and I remember we went back a couple sessions or a couple uh, episodes ago. I was talking about categories of the zone. You ever pay attention? He in category two, he stands all the time, right? So he what he creates is a big box, a big window of predictability in some regard because it's in that category of the ice, that little sliver, that little cheese of ice. Inside that cheese of ice, he understands the space completely. And you're, and in section two, you're talking like that that one timer spot traditionally on a one three one, right? Yes. So if you drew a, if you could draw a line from the goal from the goal post to the wall, the go, this line would go from the goal post and it would come underneath the faceoff dot to the wall. The next line would come from the goal post and it would go up all the way through the zone and it would go towards the neutral zone and it would meet at the blue line. So that little sliver of cheese there. And he's always in that spot. So like Stamco stands on the other side or Obi. So it's category two technically. But inside of that space is that's where all of his manipulation comes from. And it's really the re- read and react off of what, the, again, what the D does. So there's not a set play there. It's like where the T's toe caps are, where they, if they take the wrong angle, he's got option A. If the D does this, he's got option B. There's always like, there's like three options on every single play. Cross seam, one timer, one touchdown low. So he's always got escapes and outs. One thing I, I like about him and in, in the comparison of with McGillney is it's almost like they also held the stick in the same position on like how they hold their stick and how they manage the puck or not manage the puck, how they handle the puck. It looks a lot similar. And it, like to bring that comparison together, how smooth they are with the puck, with their body, with the puck, but also with their body control. You know what I mean? Like their, their moves and their body always like kind of come together in harmony. It's like a, it's like poetry, man. It's so smooth. Their steps, the step work, uh, footwork that they have to their moves are very calculated and they're silky. They always have escapes and you can never, you can never really run them or, or run at them because they always had escapes. But, uh, just wanted to touch on that on your points, what you saw in Kucherov's power play time there and kind of explain a little bit deeper, having played that dot spot, you know, through my career, it's really, uh, if you can explain that to players and, and help them see that, give them those options, that hockey IQ side of it, 
So the, you know, give them the reads, what's the play when the D does this. And this is why you and I do our video work with our players and stuff like that. It's, it's really to help them understand the whys of that. It's not impossible to do what Kucherov does. It's possible to do if you can understand the reasoning, what works, what doesn't work. Um, and what the reads are, what the, you know, if you understand the reads, the processing time speeds up and then the proper play can be made, um, you know, effectively. So he's, yeah. One of his greatest, uh, like he's got a lot of great assets. He's one of the best players in the league, but one of his greatest skill sets, I think is to be able to sort of pull that puck off of a rimmed puck. So say, say a, a Perry has the puck on the goal line in the offensive zone, uh, it's sort of in his corner and it's just like rimmed up to him on the half wall. Yeah. And as a lefty, he's going to receive that on his backhand. And as a, as a defender, I'm going, Oh yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to pressure him. He's got to receive it on his backhand, corral it. And I'm just going to apply a ton of pressure on him. And he will make a pass like with his first touch of the puck. It's not like a, he pulls it off and he receives it and handles it, whatever. It's like, it touches his stick and it's like a one-time pass either to the bumper or like, spun to up top to headman or like and he's not shy or afraid or scared or timid or anything to rip that from that positioning facing the glass backhander through the seam to a stamp coast right like and i think that's what makes that power play so dynamic is the unpredictability to the defending group on what this guy's doing where the, yeah, the teammate the teammates are always aware and and know that something's going to happen when this guy touches the puck right evidently in that one power play shift we showed that he had a, he had a one timer from his spot. He had a, a one timer up the stand coast up top. He had a low play to the goal line to Pilat, a shot tip attempt to Perry through the seam twice to stand coast on the, that fake one timer hard pass through a down low attempt to, to Perry for a stuff. Like those are pretty much every, like when we run practice power play practice, you run through every option. Like he did it all in a minute and 40 and he had two zone entries, like seamlessly cutting through, like knifing through, like there's not even defenders there, but it was, it was something to, to watch. And, and I, and I, I just can't help but think that he's very, very similar to McGillney. I don't know um, Kucherov personally, but I, I'm sure that if you were to ask him, he probably would have uh, McGillney as one of his idols, but, uh, and, and I guess it goes back again to just why McGillney isn't in the hall of fame, but it's been 13 years. You wonder if he'll get in, but I just, I question why, why it isn't, but, and, and even with all of his talents, you know, like an, an offensive creativity that he was having the, the third period for, for Tampa, they just seemed to be smothered. Like Colorado did such an amazing job of, of throwing the blanket on, on Tampa on any type of rush attempt or breakout or anything. And I know that you had uh, wanted to uh, touch on their, their uh, their tactics in the third period and, and sort of what make them hold the lead there. Yeah, I, I thought Colorado played unbelievable. I, their forecheck was insane. It was very in, in sync, and there's you know small details on reattacking, reloading. You know, use all those hockey words, buzzwords. Um, the one guy that stuck out to me that was unbelievable was was Nazem Kadri. He played un, unbelievable in that game. Uh, he kept reloading, reattacking, and they, and to your point, they just smothered them. You can see their positioning. They get the puck low. They invested very, uh, very well in getting the puck deep, giving the D no options. And then you can see uh, on a couple examples how they were hounding that puck and trapping Tampa Bay in with no options out. And there was literally there was nothing where uh, you could say Tampa could have done anything better. You know, 
Tampa turns the puck over, or Tampa get Tampa gets the puck back, tries to start breaking the puck out. We can see a couple examples: Kadri hounding the puck, F two getting over the top of their middle uh, middle option for Tampa, and then you can see the one option where Tampa goes D to D. Colorado reloads, repressures, gives them absolutely nothing, and then the guy who started the hounding Kadri gets a scoring chance right back winds up getting a breakaway out of it, scoring chance. And then that turns into another 30 to 40 second shift uh, of offensive zone pressure. Um, these, I mean, they were just reloading, investing and playing together. And that, that hockey is, is close to impossible to play against when you're a team trying to uh, come back when you're down and they just keep putting the puck low, reattacking, keeping a good F3 pressure cooker, pressure cooker. There's no options. There's no plays to be made. And whenever Colorado would touch the puck, they, again, they would just get it low, hound it. And that, that was some of the best, I thought, systematic play I'd seen in a long time. Um, and then, you know, the other thing is that people are going to say, like, why don't you play like that all the time then? Well, it's, it's very hard to play that way. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, you can't play that way for 82 games in a season. You really can't. That's, it takes a lot of energy. Um, I will say that playing in Sweden, that was something pretty close to that in uh, Sheleptia. Uh, we played that way where it was pressure all over the ice, but it, it is very, very tiring <laughs> and it's a much different game. But, um, and just a couple examples here with, with Colorado, how they played in the third period, smothering them, their system work, their kind of their commitment to each other, commitment to the team game. Mm-hmm. And it paid off because Colorado, uh, excuse me, Tampa got nothing out of it. There was no options either. Like the only thing that Tampa could do is launch it down. And then Colorado still had coverage there. So it was, it was really, it was really, uh, I think there was so much to learn from that for coaches, for players. When you watch that, when you have a lead, what that means to commit to the team and play responsible hockey. You can see in these clips, at no point did any player in Colorado take a risk of one-on-one, trying to do a little bit extra, trying to be a I guy on a team game. It was invest in the team, you know, it's the ultimate rewards at the end of this, right? The Stanley Cup, but I thought this was a great, you know, a couple of examples of what Colorado did so well. And it wasn't, uh, this, this was won by Colorado hundred percent. Like they played, they played strong. better. They were the better team. 100%. I, I think, I think it was one of the better playoff series. Um, and, and I do think, like you said, in the third period, I think you pulled a couple clips from the third, but the whole third period as a, as an entire capsule is, it was, was I don't want to say dominated by Colorado. It just, Tampa couldn't do anything, you know, like you said, Colorado had very strong F1 presence. Their F2 would go down the wall, taking away any quick up option, anything D to D F3 jumped on it. Like you said, if it countered the, the F3 would retreat or they'd always fill through the middle. If they did happen to get it up, that, that high forward, the responsibly high forward was all, always tracking the puck makes it easier on the, the D when you're getting back pressured so hard that you literally have to be making plays at full speed. It was, uh, it was pretty remarkable. And it wasn't until maybe like the th- last three minutes of the, of the third where Tampa started to generate some, some chances. Right. Um, but it, Kucherov it, it, had one Kucherov had one there from Pilata one timer. That was an unbelievable save. Uh, that was a great chance at the, towards the end. Pairs gave him a pairs got a two on one also yep. made a little sauce over to Kucherov on his off offhand one time when he, he made a play at the net, just sort of missed, but that was uh, it. No, really? That was, yeah. that was sort of it. And he's sniffing it out. You can see even like the, you know, Landis got dumps the puck in, hounds it. You got Kadri closing the wall. You got F3 reloading and they just keep circling, circling the wagons, giving them nothing. And it just, it created 
so much chaos for Tampa. And you could, you know, even you can see the one in the one part, um, you know, the winger started coming down for Tampa to kind of help the breakout. So then they're not even options up the ice and the way that Kadri kept reloading on him and reloading and giving him nothing, you know, the guy's got to make a cross ice pass on his backhand and it turns into no offense for Tampa. So, I mean, it's just, it's, it was very effective. Well, well executed, well-deserved, um, Fun to watch and hard to watch at the same time. Obviously, we talk about Paris quite a bit, but we would love to pull. We were pulling for our buddy, but that, I mean, that hockey that Colorado played was sick. And seeing Cal McCarr win, win the MVP, like well deserved. Like we saw something special there in that player. You know, 29 points in a playoffs, it's sick. Like you don't see that much these days. Um, yeah, and you, and you had alluded to Nas doing what, obviously, winning the Stanley Cup, and he's had a rough go like you know he was sort of the scapegoat in toronto for the for a while which i don't really understand i think maybe toronto would be wanting to have him back on their roster now but uh and then the what he had to deal with uh throughout the playoffs this this year um you know i i'm pretty happy for him he, he's an unrestricted free agent it'll be interesting to see where he goes but uh the other the other thing i wanted to touch on was the, the coaching itself like i had i had jared Benar as a coach uh for a year in st louis's organization and and I know John Cooper from obviously talking to Corey and that both guys are just really good people, you know, like they're like, you want to play for them. They, they enjoy having conversations. There, there's no hierarchy of, you know, like you can't speak to me cause I'm the coach type thing. Like they almost accept you as like, we're, we're one of the boys here. Right. At least for when I played with, uh, with Bedner, I, I thought he did a, a tremendous job of, including his, his players in the conversations. So it wasn't like, okay, this is what we're going to do. You do it now. It, it was like a conversation with, Hey guys, what do you think if we do this? And then you, you grab the, you know, a nucleus of the leadership group or um, more experienced players. And you just have an open discussion on, okay, well, if we do try that, then this is what's going to, and then you end up molding uh, either a system player tactic based on not just the coaches hockey IQ, but the players that some will be in the hockey hall of fame. Right. And I, and, and I thought when, when I had him as a coach, I loved playing for him. I know uh, Phil McCray, it was his rookie year. He was one of, if not his favorite coach, like it just like, it was good to see. It's good to see him. Obviously hard for us to see our buddy Corey lose, but uh, it, it was to me, it was good to see him when a, a good guy that, has won at a lot of levels all the way up. You rarely see that. Coast, where, Coast AHL, NHL, did the three tiers. It's pretty yeah, crazy. It's it's rare that you see that happen. And and I was just, you know, really happy for him. He's a nice guy, soft-spoken, um, warrants a lot of respect in the locker room. I think his peers uh, think highly of him as well. And then if you go across the the red line to, to Cooper, like at the end of the – uh, at the end of the series, he brought up his entire staff again, right? Because there's a lot of guys that are behind the scenes that are doing video, uh, sending players vi- uh, video clips and and doing one-on-one stuff, skill stuff down low. Um, and and t- Tampa being, you know, uh, a modern day sort of dynasty and uh, he, that coaching staff probably isn't going to be there next year, right? Which which speaks wonders to what Tampa had as a as a core group of staff when some of them might be gonzo coaching as a head coach elsewhere tampa had three or two or you know more than one play, uh, staff members worthy of being a head coach and i just thought it was a, a unique and cool thing to do for cooper i know he did it after they had won the last two stanley cups he brought out everyone to sort of show like this is 
This is what makes it happen behind the scenes. And he did it again when they lost. Right. It's like, this is, this is who we are. This is how we've gotten so good. And, you know, and almost, I don't say swan song, but I, I do believe that a few of the staff members may be on, on different teams next year, but I just thought it was, it was really cool. And I, and I do know that uh, both guys speak well, they communicate with their players. Well, they're well-liked. Um, so in that regard, I, it was, it was really good to see. And, uh, and, and, and again, talking about behind the scenes stuff and development, I know you were overseas. You just flew over from your development camp there, which it seemed online. It looked like it was very successful. And I think uh, all the players that were involved, I think would probably uh, agree with my thought process and that they, they took a lot out of it. So, I mean, I'll give you a, a bit of a platform to go on about uh, how, how good it, you know, how good it felt to be a, a developer and, and how, how much you felt confident passing on your knowledge to the players in hopes to, to succeed in, in their hockey careers. Yeah, it was awesome. It was an awesome event and it was a great opportunity for the players and, and it was a great opportunity all week for them to, to get some, um, you know, some sort of higher level coaching in some regard, like on a personal level. And then on the same time, get a chance to showcase. We had, we had a really good success through the live stream with elite prospects. We got a lot of viewership on that. A lot of people tuned in. And then we actually have uh, two players right now that are in talks with teams over here in North America. So that was the whole opportunity of, of that camp was not just to be a normal summer camp. Uh, it was, it was really for them to showcase themselves and have people tune in from North America to watch and find spots for them. You know, that's the big thing for me. I, I want to be a mentor, help these kids land and chase their dreams. I can't be all things at once, but that this camp gave me a chance to do that, be kind of an, and it, I don't want to be an agent, but like offer them new opportunities and kind of a, I told, I told them before the camp started, I'll, I'll set the dance floor. You guys got to show up and dance. And that's, that was the truth. You know, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, we had live games and the kids played great. The first game was like one of those feeling out processes. And then I gave them kind of not an earful, but just like, Hey guys, there's people watching, you know, this isn't, this isn't a June skate, you know, people are watching. If you want to go places, it's time. So Wednesday they came out and it was really, you know, physical sort of playoffs type hockey. And, uh, you know, through the course of the week, we got a chance to do some video. I love the setting and it was awesome. We got, again, we watched the game film from Monday night on Tuesday and we broke down some stuff and talked about the stuff. And it's just a great, I love the setup because again, it gives you, when you do summer camps, you're always talking about hypothetically what's happening in games and this is what's going to happen. But when you can do it in this sort of setting, like you play Monday and on Tuesday, you're watching it. And then you're talking about why you, why you implement the drills that you implement. And you're like, this is it. You know what I mean? The, whatever the wall sprints, the cut back on the dot and it's reattack the net. Here's exactly where it should have happened. And you didn't do it. Do you see why we do those drills? And it's like, okay, you know, light bulbs go off and that's, that's development, right? And that's, you can do it really on the spot. And then uh, the chance to do it in blood Slovenia. It's like, you got to check this place out. It's unbelievable. It's so it's beautiful. It's like out of a postcard. So it's, it's all encompassing and, and we had a great week. Again, a couple of kids are getting some opportunities out of it now, um, which was my main goal. Like they just give them those chances and, and get people to see them. That's um, it's really gratifying to, to open up doors like that. So it was awesome. Plan on doing it again next year for this next year. We're going to do it for three weeks. They have two weeks of boys in different age brackets and then one week of, of women. So it's uh, really looking forward to, to that. I love the the model. I love working with kids and, and again, giving them whatever I can from my side of it on a personal level, um, development wise open, you know, just giving them those little details. Like we're talking about Kucherov 
running the half wall, you know, kind of like uh, Tadek Mamutovic, uh, showing him what the right decisions are, not doing things just because you saw him on TV. It's like, this is why he does that. And this is how you can do that yourself. Here's the manipulation piece. Like I really thoroughly enjoy that side of it. So, uh, had fun. Now I'm look like I've gone 12 rounds with Tyson. My eyes are heavy. <laughs> it's ready to shut the brain off for a little bit, relax, and then get back into those things I mentioned earlier in the show. But yeah, it was, it was an awesome time. So and elite prospects was great. They, they live streamed it on their, uh, through their channels on YouTube. And we had some great sponsored bio steel sponsored it. So the kids all had, you know, good drinks in the room and that little stuff makes them feel good, you know? And in between, I did some, uh, in between periods, I did some color, color, tom, uh, color commentating, had some interviews, and it was hilarious, man. It was so awkward <laughs> for both of us. The kids didn't know how to just speak yeah, but, and I didn't know how to continue. Yeah. But the, you know what though? That's, that's just like development as a, as a whole, right? Like I, I'm the same as you. Like when I finished playing, uh, I wanted that hockey mentality, fill the void option. And I, I didn't want to play. So that's what sort of led me into coaching and development. And there's nothing better than, than being on the ice and, you know, rimming pucks to a player and getting them to pull the puck off the wall and either take it to the net or make a nice little play to your low centerman. And then they do it in the game and they break out easy and go down and get a rush and they come off and they look at you like smiling, like I did it. I'm like, I know. And now you have that forever, that skill that you just did that you keep working on, you sort of have that forever. So it's, it was always great to the, the satisfaction you get from seeing a player sort of absorb uh, like a sponge, your knowledge or um, your ideas and, and on what to do. And um, you know, I just, I think, I think you've done a great job and continue to do a great job. And like you said, the little things like that, whether it be biosteel elite prospects, a Bauer, or even just the, you know, speaking, getting them interview savvy, right? Because at some point they're going to be having to, to speak to the media and, there's nothing worse than being nervous and not really getting what you want out. And then you leave the interview going, shit, I, I just sounded like an idiot when you're really not, but you were just so nervous. So uh, it's, I commend you on, on doing all those whole rounded things to, to help them um, in their venture to be either in, in hockey or get a scholarship or, or move on. But it's a, it's a cool little process that I think you've started. And, uh, and I think a lot of people will be looking forward to next year and hopefully uh, everyone on your world tour or the North American tour here that you're, you're venturing on will, will think the same, but um, no, I, I think it's awesome what, what you're doing. And, and I'm trying to do something similar in this area. Obviously we're uh, a little bit more of a, a condensed hotbed in, in the London, Ontario area, but uh, yeah, it's, it's always, it's always rewarding seeing players retain what you're trying to teach and, and implementing it in, in the game or, or knowing that you get them a little bit more comfortable in front of a camera or in front of a mic or are confident in speaking in public. I think those are all just life skills that, uh, that I think, uh, that you're able to pass on that, that, uh, serve well for them in, in all areas of, of their future. But, uh, speaking of future, um, our friends at points Bet Canada, I'm sure we'll have a hockey futures board on who's going to win the Stanley cup next year. Right. It's, it's obviously very early that the draft is still upcoming, uh, the free agency, frenzy will, will happen. I'm sure. And I'm, I'm sure with the cap error, there's always uh, some shuffling and trades going on, but if you were to bet, not knowing the odds, who, who are you sort of looking at as teams out of the East and the West that you'd want to sort of rest your hat on that you think are going to be in, in a position to be in the semifinals, let's say, and, uh, and, and contending for the Stanley cup. 
I would say without any movement happening, I mean, obviously there's going to be some movement coming up here pretty soon. Drafts right around the corner. So tough to say, but as it sits now, um, I mean, I, I like the way the New York Rangers developed this year. Um, I don't know if it's a long shot by saying that, but I, I like the way they played. I liked what they got on the back end and this year's experience going to give them a lot of growth. And I, you know, there's a lot of chatter about them adding some pieces. They, they are probably one, two, maybe one or two pieces away from being a real contender, but I, I liked the way they played in the playoffs. I thought they were a very strong team. Um, I, I would pick them out of the East. I don't know. Um, you know, I think Pittsburgh's kind of getting a little bit older. They're, they're usually the same thing with Washington. They're getting, you know, that core group's kind of getting a little bit older. It's getting tougher. But I don't know. I like New York personally. I don't know why Toronto's tough to pick. They obviously got names on the roster, and they're an exciting team to watch. But I don't know. They, they kind of disappoint quite often um, when it comes down to the, you know, to the crunch time. So uh, who would you take out of the East? I think that division as a whole will be tough. Um, you're, you're going to probably have Toronto, Florida, and Tampa again contending, right? Like, you, like to get through, you're going to have to play. Someone's going to have to play both of those teams probably just to get through to get to put yourself in a position, right? So, uh, I, I think Toronto has some shuffling to do. Again, like I said, it's I don't, I don't think any team has ever won the Stanley Cup with a, a someone on their salary uh, on their cap making over ten million. So, I think it's going to be tough for for Toronto, they're going to f- have to find some, some gems at low price. Um, I think Tampa with the, you know, with Hedman and Vasilevsky and you got the, you know, their big line up front and some depth and Perry and it's, it's not much is going to change. I think uh, they, they've built a really, from being down there, they've done a really good job of making that a destination for players to want to be at. And I think you see it with Nick Paul, just, just getting traded there. He's being a free agent and he's pretty much vocal saying, I want to come back. Right. So like it's a spot where guys want to go. Maybe they won't be paid as much as they would somewhere else, but they just, the, the, the lifestyle and the, the competitiveness of the team and fan base, I think draws people in. Uh, and then I think in, in Florida, they have a, with Barkov is one of the best players in the league. So is Huberto. I think that team, um, it sounds like they may be getting a, a new coach or if it's already announced, I'm not hundred percent sure in, in Maurice, but, and I think he's, he did a really good job in Winnipeg. So I think that division, those three teams in the division are going to be contenders. And I'm with you on, on New York, like that, like every time you have a goalie, who's that good, like you have to score on him to, to beat them. Right. So uh, I'm with you on New York. They got a, a, a good young back end. Uh, they got returning players up front and a goalie who arguably is right there with Vasilevsky and in being the top. But uh, I don't, I don't see, and, and you can all, you can also look at Carolina, right? Carolina is again, a, a team that wears their heart on their sleeve. Their coach is uh, a workout machine. It competes, like, makes this team compete like hell they're They were a group of young guys, competitive, uh, upbeat, up-tempo players, offensive, uh, they, I think they have good goaltending as well. I, I don't know if much changes on the, on the Eastern front. I think on the West, there may be a, a little bit different scenario. I think uh, for me, I think I have Colorado again. You have a good, I don't know what they're going to do in, in net, but uh, the, the, the players themselves are, are <laughs> highly talented and uh, not much is probably going to change. Uh, obviously they have some, some UFAs to, to deal with, but uh, I, I like the way that St. Louis plays. 
Uh, I think Vegas should be a team that does better than what they have. Uh, and I think um, Minnesota is, is a team that's sort of right there as well. They get a, a good young Russian as well. That is one of the top players in the league. So uh, I, I think the Western side maybe will, will be shuffled a bit, a bit in the pl- come playoff time, but on the, on the Eastern front, I think you're going to see probably the same, same or a lot of the same teams that are uh, that we saw this year. What do you got for out, out West? Yeah. I kind of, I mean, you're, we, we speak a lot of the same language. I, I like Minnesota too. They, they're a gritty, tough team. They got a young guy, Marco Rossi, coming up. He draft pick 2019 first round. He had a pretty good year in the HL last year, knocking on the door. So they got some young talent to in, inject into the lineup. I like the way they play as well. They, you know, off, they can play offensive because the West is a, that tough, pretty, it's big body, tough hockey. So I think it's like whoever has the best combination of, of that plus some skill to score. You know, to be able to play some of these, you see some of these games that are ball hockey games, nine, six in playoffs. Um, it's really important. Um, Edmonton took a big jump this year, big leap. I, I like, you know, but they obviously have some things to touch up on. If we're talking about who's going to win the cup, I mean, I'm going to go out on a limb and just, I'm going to stick to one because like, we can go down to all the teams, but I would pick, I'm going to pick Vegas Golden Knights. I like their I like their team, and I think with the new coach, new new breathing space, I think it'll be, um, yeah, back to what they were when they first came in the league. I agree with you. Like, I think Vegas is a, a team that's destined to to do good things. They have uh, a strong back end, veteran players up front that can score. Obviously, the coaching change uh, maybe is what they need, but I, I just think as a whole, the, the Western side is a little bit more wide open. Uh, and then on the East, I think you're going to see a lot of repetitive same teams. But um, again, Trumpy, I'm glad you made it across the ocean. You're back in, uh, in North America, back home in Fulton, New York. Uh, enjoy uh, your skates uh, this week and uh, developing the players. And if you can make a run up to London, by all means, I have a, a bed waiting for you and a spare set of clubs if you need them. But um, next week we'll, we'll go over the draft. I know the draft is a, an upcoming thing. So we'll go over, uh, our draft, a little bit of a draft preview and, and, and what a draft is like in the mindset of a, of a hockey player. But again, Trumpy as always, uh, good, good catching up with you and enjoy your time at home with your family. Thanks brother. Thanks everybody for tuning in. You can catch us out on the shrimp and Sivrat show on Twitter, Instagram, and you can check us out on our personal ones at Rob shrimp and at Danny Sivrat. See you guys. Tune in next week on Tuesday. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Shrimp and Savrette Show. Don't forget to subscribe to the Nation Network YouTube channel to watch all of our video breakdowns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.